Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I am your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. My continuing mission on planet Earth, to search for signs of intelligence and to encourage its spread. Many of you are familiar with the Necker Cube. If you're not, you can see one easily enough by searching online for images of Necker Cubes. The Necker Cube is a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional object, the cube, but a representation that gives no guidance to the viewer about how to perceive depth. You, the viewer, can imagine several different axes along which the depth might run. You can imagine depth, depth such that the cube appears to recede behind the surface, or you can imagine depth so that the cube appears to project outwards toward you from the surface. Senior contributing editor Prego Denada submits for your edification the following essay in which the Necker cube becomes a metaphor for the different ways in which you might interpret biological evolution and introduces one's thinking to the consequences of choosing an alternate point of view. Prego writes, Is the egg the chicken's way of making another chicken, or is the chicken the egg's way of making another egg? We're accustomed to thinking of the egg as the chicken's way of making another chicken, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the only way of thinking about it, and there is no right way. By choosing alternatively to look at the question from the point of view of the egg, scientists have developed deep and important insights into the processes of evolution because selection occurs primarily at the level of the gene. This focus has led not only to the study of anatomy and physiology with deeper understanding, but also to the study of social behavior. Sociobiologists also refined the concept of fitness and introduced the concept of inclusive fitness. The old phrase, survival of the fittest, previously meant little more than survival of the survivors and provided only limited insight into natural selection. Now, fitness is rigorously defined as success in getting copies of one's genes into future generations. Inclusive fitness extends the concept to getting concept copies of the genes of one's close relatives into future generations. The introduction into scientific thinking of the idea that animal behavior, particularly the behavior of humans, is influenced by genetic evolution has led to intense controversy, and not just in the religious sphere, where as a rule people are disinclined to give credence to evolution as the explanation for anything. Outside the sphere of religion, or is it, the most heated controversy has been in the political sphere because so many intellectuals, particularly in the social sciences and humanities, are deeply committed to the idea that human nature is a tabula rasa, or blank slate. This commitment goes hand in hand with the belief that human nature is infinitely malleable, and that wise and benevolent leaders will be able to take us all to a higher level of universal prosperity coupled with environmental protection and social justice, provided everyone is conditioned to believe it and to support the policy agenda.
Belief morphs into possibility, the saying goes, as if nature places no constraints on what we can realistically believe. The blank slate idea, of course, is facing major difficulty if nature has, in fact, sculpted human behavior in some way, as much as it has sculpted human anatomy and physiology. Let us examine more closely the thinking of the scientists who have made the advances in the field of social biology and see where facts and reason take us. A little background. The term sociobiology entered the public sphere in a big way when biologist Edward O. Wilson published a book titled Sociobiology with a subtitle of The New Synthesis in 1975. Professor Wilson's area of study was ants and other social insects. He states in his introduction that his goal was to understand the role of genetics in influencing behavior And with social insects, this is relatively easy to do because insect behavior is rigidly instinctive. So a researcher does not have to be concerned with the added complexity of environmental influence that is present in research about social vertebrates. Wilson made the observation that the functioning of societies of social vertebrates resembles the functioning of societies of social insects even though the individuals in the respective societies are vastly different. This suggests that nature has been sculpting the behavior of social vertebrates and the behavior of social insects in much the same way. And thus was born the study of what is now known as evolutionary psychology. It's pretty difficult not to notice that we humans are social vertebrates, It would be remarkable indeed if our society did not share many characteristics of other vertebrate societies. You can try not to notice, of course, by the tried-and-true tactic of arbitrary dichotomizing and the accompanying blatant assertion that we're different. Or you can try vilification of those whose conclusions you are reluctant to accept. It is not uncommon to encounter comparisons from opponents of the science of sociobiology with the now-despised science of eugenics, which of course leads to a comparison with the horrors perpetrated in the name of eugenics by Nazi Germany. It's ironic that these accusers seem unaware that eugenics was a pet cause prior to World War II of the same intellectual tradition of those who are now using these accusations to tar their opponents. For those of us who try to avoid self-delusion, however, there is plentiful evidence of the influence of evolution on human behavior. In this forum, I want to point to just a few examples of how the tools of evolutionary psychology have led to insights and to whet your appetite for further exploration of this fascinating topic perception of beauty. It has practically been dogma among social scientists that standards of beauty are wholly arbitrary, just inexplicable fashions that vary over time and between cultures. The evidence is clear, however, that beauty is not just in the eye of the beholder. Men and women with more symmetrical features, for example, are considered more beautiful in every culture. 
The same is true of such features as clearer skin and other traits that signal health and fertility. Expressions of emotion. The faces of humans in all cultures express emotions in much the same way. You could plunk just about anyone down in an unfamiliar foreign land and that person would be able to recognize the emotions in the faces of the locals. Fear, surprise, anger, joy, disgust, etc. look the same everywhere. One does not have to learn a new set of emotional expressions when traveling from one place to another. Charles Darwin pointed out the deep evolutionary roots of emotional expression in his The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals, published not long after The Origin of Species. Language. The eminent linguist Noam Chomsky posited a universal grammar, that is, a common structural basis for language as a feature of the human animal with roots in genetic evolution. The dominant belief before Chomsky published his work was that language acquisition was entirely the product of conditioning of the individual phenotype and not genetic memory, that is, the sculpting of the genotype by evolutionary processes. The evidence in support of Chomsky's hypothesis is overwhelming. See, for example, the discussion of this topic in linguist Steven Pinker's book, The Language Instinct. The list of commonalities among human cultures that can probably only be explained as the result of evolutionary sculpting goes on. As you might expect, much of it is centered on mating. Things like the nuclear family. Why men tend to be more sexually promiscuous than women. Why men and women find each other sexually appealing. Different tendencies in male and female jealousy. Distinct differences between male and female bodily structures and behavioral tendencies. Cuteness in children. Romantic love, etc. You might be wondering about exactly what Wilson meant by the new synthesis. In his view, the new synthesis refers to the integration of evolutionary thinking into fields of inquiry that have been slow in recognizing its significance. Thus, evolutionary psychology is just psychology reimagined, and sociobiology is just sociology reimagined, both on the basis of deeper understanding. Resistance to evolutionary thinking in the social sciences and the humanities has frequently taken the form of accusations against biologists, saying they are advocating genetic determinism. That is, that biology equals destiny. This critique is clearly a straw man argument advanced by those who are desperate, even panicky, to discredit sociobiology and dismiss the scientific evidence. Biologists themselves will tell you they understand that vertebrates in general, and humans in particular, develop in response to environmental influences as well as to genetic influences. It seems clear that many of those who are advocating the imposition of social justice are not swayed by facts and reasoning. Their behavior seems to be explained first 
by their long-held allegiance to the idea that they are the good guys involved in a struggle with a ruling class of bad guys. And secondly, by the unshakable idea held in common with everyone who does not understand the evolutionary nature of the economy, that this ruling class has designed and structured the economy to benefit themselves at the expense of an underclass and to establish and maintain a position of dominance. They believe with great zeal that they are embarked on a glorious mission to unseat this imaginary ruling class, achieve positions of authority for themselves, and to redesign and restructure the economy. And perhaps most astonishingly, many go so far as to state explicitly that if reason and facts are not on their side, reason and facts must be viewed as nothing more than tools of oppression employed by the ruling class. I believe we can be confident that reason and facts are never on the side of oppressors. In this debate about social biology, science will certainly prevail eventually because delusions do not do well in a scientific environment. Let us hope that the difficulties that those who believe that social justice is something that can be imposed are having with evolutionary thinking are surmountable. Most of those who claim that their goal is social justice clearly are sincere about making the world a better place. It would be tragic indeed if no societal benefit were to come from the actions of so many well-intentioned people. They could still contribute to society in a beneficial way before they pass from the scene if they would figure out how to incorporate evolution more deeply into their thinking and to use it rather than fight it. Nice. Suggestions for further reading. The Blank Slate and The Language Instinct and other works by Steven Pinker. The Selfish Gene, The Extended Phenotype and other works by Richard Dawkins. Evolution and Genome by Matt Ridley. Thanks to Prego for this essay on a topic that's important for every thinking human to be aware of. Be sure to have a listen to the next installment. Please provide feedback to these podcasts if you're so inclined. You may contact me by sending an email to Senior Contributing Editor Prego Denada, pregodenada at gmail.com. Live long and prosper. <laughs>